one play at a time, huh? Play for each other, love y'all. Hey, enjoy it today. Control the emotion, it's gonna be live. But we gonna make it even live. Here we go. Win on three, one, two, three. Win. Baby, need some shoes. Let's go, boys. Game now. Game. We got one goal, let's win. You shoot, I shoot with you. Here we go. Win on three, one, two, three. Welcome to another edition of Across the Bills. Of course, I am your, your host, Pat G, with Steffi. And we have a special guest today, Matt Perino, who is a Buffalo Bills beat writer, does multiple Buffalo Bills podcasts. So he has Buffalo Bills covered in like nine different directions. How are you today, <laughs> Matt? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Um, obviously, uh, familiar with uh, Stephanie, uh, very engaging social media presence. And what's funny is like people always say what was one of the things that have surprised you in your time back because I grew up a Bills fan. And I always say, I, I did not realize how plugged in the Bill social community was. Like I had, I kind of had lost touch a little bit on Vegas when I came back. It's just like, it's just this absolute beast of a thing that people don't realize what it is until you're in it and like submerged in it. So uh, I'm glad to meet you finally. And um, thank you for having me on the show. Watch Thank it. you. Well, yeah, Stephanie. Stephanie is the main reason why this show started is because I, me and her contact like connected through Twitter and everything, and then we because she was part of across the board sports and she put out a thing and I was like I joined them did some writing pieces and everything and then was like hey do you want to do a Bills podcast because the guy that runs the Cross Board Sports is doing a Browns podcast and I was like wait we're the Bills our team's better I feel like we could get get more <laughs> more views and more views and and listens to this so I talked to her and this is how it came to be so she's the social media guru I'm the guy behind the scenes so to speak but anyways the big story this week was the article with Sammy Watkins coming out and him talking about his whole battle through alcoholism and mental health and everything and there were some things in the article that talked about the Buffalo Bills and he believes and the reason that he left so to speak now Matt I'm sure you saw the article what did you take away from it you know my main takeaway was something that I feel like most people already really knew in that like Sammy really struggled with the transition from college to the pros and the expectations and the pressure. And that's not anything new. I mean, this happens to uh, athletes all the time. I mean, you're thrown into a world where everybody knows your name, especially in a town like Buffalo, where the Bills are such a big deal here. Everywhere he goes in town, you, you have a level of fame that you've never experienced before. And he went to Clemson, so there was an element of that there. But, you know, you get here and all eyes are on you and then when you trade up to get a guy too the pressure mounts from that perspective and you know I think in a lot of ways probably Sammy was kind of set up with a little bit too much pressure on him because of the circumstances at which he arrived but um, you know he didn't do himself any favor favors by you know keeping his head down and you know working at things and and I think it goes to show you how important what's been built here now is under McDermott and Bean. Mm-hmm. Confidence at those two levels, you know what I mean? In, in, inside the locker room and, and, you know, the organization as a whole when you're talking about the front office. And that, that obviously wasn't here when Samuel was drafted. Uh, uh, the, the, I can't envision a scenario where a guy gets drafted into this regime and that type of thing happens. 
because there's so many resources for these players. You take Ed Oliver, for instance. He came in last year, and he was just a little bit of a hot dog. He would tell you it. Like, he, he thought he was he, he was feeling himself from his time at Houston. He was a really upper echelon talent at the college level. He came in here. He thought he was going to dominate right from the jump. And everybody was kind of telling him, like, vets that he had talked to in the, early in the process were like, listen, man, study pay attention to fundamentals and technique. You're going to need those little things, those repetitions for once you get in games against some of these really good NFL players. And he didn't believe him until he got out there and he was like, yeah, I, I didn't need to just pay attention to that stuff because before long he lost his starting job and he had to earn his way back. And But the system that was in place here and the support system really lended it like to him being able to go through that and come out of it the other end successful and you know they also are able to find the type of players that have the drive to be great and i think that while sammy might have that you really need to have like blinders on and this is the only thing that you need to focus your energy on and that's tough for 22 and 23 year olds coming in to a lot of money and a lot of fame yeah, especially with Sammy Watkins coming in with the first round pick, the Bills trading up to draft him, him coming into the situation with the Bills in 2014, where it was the constant, the coach coaches coming in and out, quarterbacks coming in and out, the players going in and out, plus the times that where the front office was dealing with the other players like Marcel Darius and everything. And of course the Mario Williams fallout. And it seemed like they were just trying to patch a bandaid on, on a gushing wound. And like you said, when Sammy Watkins came in, it was the culture shock of going from college to the NFL, where they always say the cliche thing is the NFL scene is faster. So it take it might take your college college superstar a little bit more time to access that knowledge and be able and be able to handle that speed now i'm sure stephanie read the article what was your thoughts on it uh i it was clear that he had some demons um he went through into a spiral of depression from what i gathered from the article um and i was i just had a question for you matt uh what you thought did you get a chance to read the full article or i read all I, yeah i read almost all of it okay so there was a part where he alluded to mcdermott being a bad energy can can you comment on that at all or yeah, like, I just don't think that they jive because of what Sammy was upfront about, the lifestyle mm-hmm. that he was leading. And Sean's a no-nonsense type of guy. Like, listen, he wants individuality in his room. Like, he wants people to be themselves and to, you know, be be men and grown-ups. But at the same time, you everything with him, you have to earn. So I'm sure Sammy Watkins coming off of you know, I think it was a 1,000-yard season either the year before Sean got there or the year uh, two years removed. I'm sure he thought, like, he had earned something, but not not with Sean, I would imagine, because that's the way that he uh, operates. So I think that it was a culture shock. Any any way you want to say it, it was going to be a culture shock from Rex Ryan to Sean McDermott. Those are two completely different regimes, two completely ideologies on how you run a football team. I mean, Rex Ryan is real hands-off, like, your men, you kind of, like, Sean is almost like, he treats it like a family, and he's almost like these guys' dad in, in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? And and Rex is the opposite of that. Rex is like, you know, I'm, I'm your, I'm your, uh, your second-removed uncle that, like, will check in on weekends, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a different, it's just a different, like, ideology of how you approach running a team and I don't obviously Sean's had a lot more success so it's easy to say that his way is the better way but I think Rex mm-hmm. has had some success success too it just when you when you're dealing with young players like rookies and second year guys you have to treat them with kid gloves and on an individual by individual basis and I think whatever happened over the course of time from when Sean was hired in in January to when he dealt Sammy he had Sammy didn't probably didn't pass the test for Sean in terms of like what he needs, what boxes he needs checked to be on their team. And you look at it when Calvin Benjamin wasn't checking the boxes anymore, they moved on. And that was one of their guys. So 
I think that the one thing I think the guys respect in the room with Sean is that if you're not going to be for the team, you're not going to be on the team. And so, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, Calvin Benjamin or Sammy Watkins or some other different, you know, people over the course, I mean, Terrell Pryor was only here for a little while, but you kind of wonder if that maybe what was a problem with him when they let him go. And he was only here for a couple of weeks. And I didn't think play-wise he did anything to maybe to, to, for the Bills to want to motivate them to move on. So, um, yeah, no, I think I, I thought that was an interesting quote, but I think anytime you get traded, and what would, re- refresh my memory, because what was the trade compensation? It was EJ Gaines and a second round pick, right? Yeah, I believe it was EJ Gaines and a second round pick for that when they traded that's, Sammy Watkins. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a shot to Sammy's ego. You know what I mean? Like, he probably sitting here, I was the number four overall pick, and, I, and you guys got rid of me for a second. So there's probably some bad feelings there. And listen, I don't want to sit here and, and you know, defend Sean McDermott to the – but obviously there's there's some issues there with Sammy that, you know, he's you know still dealing with today. And Because I think a lot of guys, you know, if you were to talk to them three years removed from a situation – there's not a lot they're going to say about that stop at this point in their career. And so the fact that he continues to talk so much about it, and I think he was talking a little bit about it at the Super Bowl, uh, it tells you there's still some feelings there. Yeah. Now, of course, the other thing that came out from this article is Sammy Watkins making the statement that he was talking with the Buffalo Bills about about a potential return. And then, of course, Brandon Bean came out and said, kind of stated that there was no communication and the fallout from that where on one side, okay, do you believe Sammy Watkins? Because... The, if the Bills couldn't make that trade for Stefan Diggs, is that something the Bills would have gone with? Or And then on the other side, Brandon Mean kind of being very, like, n- no-nonsense a- answer because if you do say something, you run into potential tampering charges. Now, how did, what was your view on that whole situation? I mean, I think it might be something that maybe was entertained at one time, you know, because potentially he would be available. And, you know, for the right price, I think Brandon would always be willing to listen. But to say that, like, they were actively, you know, looking at that as an option, I just don't see that in play. They were talking to some free agents. And even the way that Brandon described how the um, the Stefan Diggs deal came about, that's not something that they were working on for days and days and weeks and weeks. That was the day of, hours before it happened, they made a call. So, like, I, I, I'm not sure that Sammy was even being shocked. Like, you know what I mean? So it, it doesn't seem like all of those pieces add up. And I think what it tells me that Brandon was so forthcoming with his um, – uh, with wanting to kind of set the record straight tells me that there probably wasn't as much smoke there as maybe – was let on by Sammy's comments. Okay. And so I, the way I took it when he made those comments was it was coming off the article, the bills being in the, the bills being in the media because the bills coming off of getting the four primetime games and all the, all their moves in the draft and the Stefan Diggs trade, the Buffalo bills are, uh, are one of the top teams being talked about nationally and being up on the move, especially with the move of Tom Brady from New England and Tampa Bay. But the whole Sammy Watkins thing is, is looking at him and him going, oh, it was potential to be returned and everything. If that even was a shot in the dark and Sammy Watkins was was going to return, him making the comments that he just felt the negative energy from Brandon Bean back in 24 back when Bean came into power and the, as the head coach and everything, would it have been a potential for a difficult situation for those two men to get together, get together and work together as as a unit? Yeah, it probably. I mean, it would have, but I think that they very much subscribe to their culture and process. Mm-hmm. So, like, if they felt that, you know, he was the kind of football player that would make a difference and Stefan Diggs wasn't in the equation and obviously Sammy has a lot of talent. I think it could be a situation where they would want to work on that stuff. And I think one of the, uh, it was uh, um, Brandon who said a couple weeks ago, 
like there's this misnomer out there that we only want choir boys and like everybody talks about the culture and process and like the only kind of guys they're going to go out and try to get are guys that fit in our leaders no you're not going to have all those guys you you built the structure of your culture with the leaders that you've lined your locker room with already. The Micah Hyde, the Tremaine Edmonds, the Tredavious Whites, the Jerry Hughes, you know, the Harrison Phillips, the Josh Allen, oh, up and down the roster, you can name a bunch of guys that lead in different ways. That gives you the chance, the ability to then go out there and bring in guys that you might have to treat a different way or go about coaching and um, handling a different way. But your culture is set, and that's why you set the culture, so that you can bring in talented guys that might be a little rough around the edges or need a little bit of extra attention. Well, that what you said right there, that's a perfect example of Stefan Diggs because – for the longest time when Stefan Diggs was in Minnesota, you heard the rumors and stories that he was he was a problem, so to speak, in the in the locker room and deal, complaining about the quarterback, complaining about the playbook, complaining about various things and everything. Now now you see him get traded to the Buffalo Bills and instantly it seemed like Stefan Diggs was buying into the process. And what McDermott and and Brandon Bean have done is what you said. It's like they've set up the leadership with Josh Allen and Trey Edwards and Tredavious White and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poirier and everything. Now you're looking at going out and getting talented players to come in to fit in the little spots that need to be filled. And that's what Stefan Diggs does. But my question now is to Stephanie is, do you think that if the Stefan Diggs trade wouldn't have happened, Sammy Watkins would have been able to come in and be a number one right receiver. Um, based on the article, I don't know. Um, one thing that stuck out to, with me uh, was the fact that he kind of admitted that his injuries were a result of his self-destruction. Um, I don't know if you guys read that, but... Um, he was like partying on Chippewa all the time and in that wasn't helping with uh, his injuries. And I don't know. It sounds like he just needs to get some help mental health wise. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I did. I did see that part. I agree. I did see that part about him talking about being out to the bars at four till four in the morning and then waking, going home, sleeping two hours, waking up at 6 a.m. and heading to the facilities and everything. But that's the thing, like injury injuries are a part of our part of life with football. It's going to happen. It's just how you deal with them. Now, moving on from Sammy Watkins and the Bills and and that article over to the Buffalo Bills upcoming schedule for 2020. And my my biggest takeaway with the schedule is we knew the Bills were going to have the, the, game, the six games against the AFC East. We knew that their schedule might be a little harder because of them finishing where they did, making the playoffs and and whatnot. What we didn't, what I didn't expect is them to get four primetime games. Now, when the schedule was released and we saw the primetime games, what was your takeaway of them getting the four primetime games, Matt? Um, it was about what I expected. I mean, I, my prediction was three uh, based off of um, Sal Capaccio had the schedule maker, uh, Mike North, on his show podcast a couple weeks ago. And I thought everything that he was saying in that show was like, we love the Bills. We respect the Bills. We, they did big numbers. And so I was expecting, you know, probably two or three um, national TV games. But what, what they showed me with the ones that they, they picked is that they're expecting the Bills to be pretty good, I think, because, you know, you have them going up against the Super Bowl champs on Thursday night football, the Super Bowl runner-ups in the San Francisco 49ers on Monday night football, and the, the biggest dynasty in the league in the last 20 years, the Patriots on Monday Night Football, uh, so it's it's quite a, a slate of games. Uh, this schedule isn't easy, but this season's not going to be easy, and so it's like it's kind of like a weird dynamic right now because a we don't know if the season's going to start on time. We don't know what the season's going to look like and how many people are going to be in the stands. If people are going to be in the stands, so. Yeah, like the primetime games are so exciting uh, under regular circumstances. I mean, 
it's a lot of actual heavy lifting for me, to be honest with you, because, you know, I'll be up till like three or four in the morning, four times now this season, but it's a labor of love. And I will say this, the Pittsburgh Steelers game last year, I was, I think I got back to my hotel room at 5 a.m., but it was such a huge moment for Bills fans. And obviously fans mean the team back at the, at the uh, airport uh, to, to celebrate the playoffs and everything. Like, this is a big moment in Bill's history. I tell people all the time, like, man, I could not have picked a better time to come back and cover this team. You know what I mean? Like, they have been so bad for 20 years. And, you know, and to no fault of any players, to be honest with you, I mean, I just think it's been, in, you know, a, a very poorly run organization for a lot of years. And I think, you know, for as much um, – for as much grief as the Pagulas receive, I think that they should get some credit for writing the ship and finally, find, at least on the football side, finding people and putting them in place that are competent and that can build, you know, uh, uh, not only a culture, but a winning uh, pedigree. I mean, now all of a sudden the Bills are, are looked at as a winning franchise after years and years and years of you guys know better than most and uh, not – not too good. So, you know, I think the, the four primetime games, I think, are just a result of winning. You have to win, and you have to win in big spots. And they won both of their national TV games last year. And so you do that, and you're going to get rewarded. Now, with the four primetime games, of course, them winning on Thanksgiving Day in Dallas and then the Sunday night game in Pittsburgh and everything, where the video of them dance, dancing on the sideline during Renegade was hilarious. <laughs> Now, with them getting the four primetime games, I look at it as they got the four primetime games because they're winning. But all four primetime games are on the road. Is that a is them games being on the road a sense towards where the Bills being coming to into a winning franchise or a sense of the schedule makers going, hey, the Bills were on the road in Thanksgiving Day and did we had the best ratings for a Thanksgiving football game of like all time with them on the road. Is them are the schedule makers looking at that factor as well as if we put the Bills on the road, everybody in Buffalo and all the Bills fans around the country are going to watch that game. So it's going to make big ratings and TV market for them. So just clarify the question. So um, did you say four road games? Because I think it's two road games and two home games this year. Okay, I thought I thought it, I thought all four were on the road. I I may have no, I, no, it's okay. KC is home and Pittsburgh is home. Okay, and then New England and San Francisco are road. All right, I thought okay, I thought it was came out, man. <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought I I because I thought they were I thought they were all all four were on the road. Um, I as well, that would be a huge story if they gave us four road road uh, primetime games because. I think they would think that the schedule makers hate them. Yeah, we're actually, like those teams. we're actually playing the Steelers at home, so people are, want the Bills to play Renegade. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know right? if it's going to happen. I don't that know if it's going to happen. Savage. That would be savage. <laughs> but I could see it happening. There's, they, they signed one of their players, that Tyler Medikavich, and he said that you know the Steelers, like they, they noticed that last year when they were all yeah. jamming out on the sidelines. Okay. Sorry, I, I, I was just gonna go along with it, but I didn't know how to respond to that. Yeah, no, I it was on me. I because I, for the for some reason I thought all four home all four of their primetime games were on the road for some reason, but it's oh, but it is God, two God, and two, God. so that's on my my fault. The two road games, though, of course, one yeah. being in San Francisco and then the other being in New England. Of course, them they know with the. The Bills going on the road last year on Thanksgiving Day in Dallas were those probably looking at going, hey, let's put the Bills on. Let's put those games in primetime because the Bills are on the road. So that's going to do big numbers because it is the Super Bowl runner up and it is the New England Patriots, which essentially has taken over the rivalry of the Bills Dolphins over the last 20 years because all Bills fans hate hate New England now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I probably was more surprised that they gave them two home games, to be honest with you, on prime time, because I don't think, like, you know, how many how many home games have they had, prime time home games have they had over the last 10 years? I mean, it's probably not too much too much more than two. 
uh, especially Monday night. I think they went years without a Monday night game. The last, my, the last Monday night game that was home, I remember because I was at it and it was against the Browns. Trent Edwards threw like three picks in the, like the the first half. Or something like that. It, oh God. Yeah, it was it was a Monday because I was, was so funny. Like everybody, everybody forgets about the 2018 Monday Night Football game at home against the Patriots because Derek Anderson played in it. So everybody forgets about it. I, I'm not even calling you out on that. People legitimately have stricken that game from their memory because Josh Allen didn't play. Everybody was just like. If you remember, they played him really tight. Yeah. And it was a close game, but Derek Anderson just couldn't get anything done. So I guess technically that's the last Monday night game. But to your point, like this not this has not happened a whole lot over the last twenty years where the Bills can go on Monday night football twice in one season. Four primetime games. I mean, I think what at the end of the day, what I think the league perception of Buffalo now is is it all comes down to Josh Allen. Because everything else is built. The roster's built. The mm-hmm. coach is great. The general manager is extraordinary. I mean, we're talking about a general manager in Brandon Bean over the next two or three years that is probably going to be considered in the top three or four in the league. And that's an amazing accomplishment. That's a quite a, a coup for, you know, the Pagulas who had struck, struck out with uh, multiple front office people on both sides of the of town with the Bills and the Sabres. But I, I think that it comes down to you have a Super Bowl caliber roster. I've heard people actually say that. But there's a question if you have a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. I'm higher on Josh Allen than I would probably say 90% of the local media in town is. And I see something in him that I like the competitive fire. I like the traits that he has and the stuff that he's not great at or where he's struggled. I think that that's stuff that can improve. People forget. Like, I tell people this all the time. Can you imagine going from if I was in college and I was writing for my student newspaper and the very next day ESPN said, Adam Schefter's sick. Go and be Adam Schefter on the beat right now. That's the kind of jump that Josh Allen took from Wyoming to becoming a starting quarterback in the NFL. He was always set up to fail a little bit in that first year. They should have probably kept Tyrod Taylor in a perfect world and let him be a bridge quarterback, Mm -hmm. but the the deal was too sweet. I think they, what did they get back? A third round for Tyrod Taylor? Uh, Yeah. Third, third round, the third round pick, which was the first pick overall of that third round. Right. So, I mean, the value there with that kind of pick, you got to jump at that. You know how Bean loves his draft capital. But then they brought in A.J. McCarron, and they, they, they cut him and let Nathan Peterman go, which was a really, really bad mistake. And they, they are honest about that. They, that was one of their big screw-ups of this whole regime has been the Nathan Peterman experience. And what that left them is in a bad spot because when Nathan Peterman stunk, they had no choice but to go with Allen. And I think if Allen could have had the same – type of career arc is Patrick Mahomes, sit behind a veteran for a year, I think he would have been much more prepared even in 2019 but now he has a full year two years almost under his belt you saw the progressions that you saw from year one to year two the the, the improvement in the intermediate passing game, when, when all the critics told me and everybody else that that couldn't be done, that kind of efficiency, I think he was the sixth most efficient quarterback in the intermediate range in the NFL last year. I was told that couldn't be done. And so you go out and you add more weapons around him, and I think that the thought process should be, what is the ceiling for Josh Allen? But I think most people like to harp on what is the floor? Uh, how bad could it be? I just don't get the sense that that's his mentality. Like I, I like players in pro sports that have a mentality that I'm going to do anything to win. And I get that vibe from Josh. So I kind of, maybe I give him the benefit of the doubt because of that, but everything I've seen, and you want to talk about completion percentage, great. Like it was under 60%. You'd love it to be higher, but let me throw another number at you. 29, 29 touchdowns last year. 
Not enough people talk about that. Because guess what? You only win games if you score touchdowns. You can tell me all the stories that you want about Dak Prescott's 4,000 yards and all this and all that. They didn't make the playoffs. Bills on, on Thanksgiving either. So I just think that our metrics that we love to use to tell us whether or not a player is good, I just don't think that it's completely black and white. I think there's a lot of gray areas. He's a young, raw prospect that's getting better, and I'm very bullish on what he can do in 2020. Now, on both sides of this argument, the people that are kind of standing up and saying what they think is going to be, they're going to have to eat a little bit when it goes potentially the other way on both sides because he's going to be a a hit-or-miss prospect, and this is a big make-or-break year. So... It's fun. I mean, this is what sports are all about. This is what we do. Yeah. The interesting thing about Josh Allen that I've noticed is if you look at now, uh, I'm, I'm, I was alive during the Super Bowl run with the Buffalo Bills and Jim Kelly and the K-Gun and everything. If you look at what Josh Allen's doing in his mentality, it's similar to what Kelly's was during that time because Kelly Kelly at times was willing to do anything that it took to win the game, to win games. And I see that now in Josh Allen and the one pl- the one play that everybody goes to is that play in Dallas that play in Dallas when the snap was bobbled Allen picked it up, took like six, took like three, go, four good hits and still ran and got the first down and got through the first down. And I'm like, that's just Josh Allen's mentality. He's like, he's going to do what he can to win. And now, unfortunately, like I've told Stephanie and Stephanie's agreed with me is the ability to limit his times where he goes, tries to do the Josh Allen hero ball gimmick. And like we saw that we saw that in the playoff game and in, in, against the Texans with, with him trying to lateral to Dawson Knox of all people and everything. It's just. But why? Did, let me ask you this: Why did that happen? Why did he go into hero ball mode? Because his defense let up sixteen unanswered points, and you know I think that you don't. That's another thing that we don't spend enough time talking about is the elements of how and when things happen. Mm -hmm. So he is a second-year quarterback in the first playoff game, and everything's going well, and all of a sudden the defense completely breaks down. And, you know, this is their, their, um, you know, identity. This is a defense-first team. They kind of go as the defense goes. And at least last year they did. Now the offense is going to have to carry a little bit more weight in 2020. So I just think that it was a perfect storm of, I think if you play that scenario out 10 times, that defense doesn't play that bad nine of the 10 times. Nine of the 10. I agree with you. Yes, he he had a, a period of time in that game where I think he tried to do too much. But you know, you, you need your quarterback to try to do too much sometimes when when things are kind of falling apart. And also, you also go back to the Super Bowl. I mean, for three quarters of that game, Patrick Mahomes looked like straight trash. Like, That's true. Go back and watch that game over. So bad. <laughs> but that fourth quarter was so good. It erases that. So I'm saying. I think Patrick Mahomes was so much more ready as a rookie than Josh Allen was, right? Yeah. So I think that we haven't seen what Allen, what we should be critiquing and what we should be judging him on are the games that haven't happened yet because I don't think he's even been ready to be a pro quarterback probably until somewhere around the midway point of the second year. So everything now going forward, that's when the real marks are going to come in, and they're going to be the most important. But I do agree that was a rough patch that he had in the Houston game. Yeah. The, well, the point you just made with Allen where he wasn't ready until like halfway through that second season, it's honestly true because if you look at his rookie year, he didn't play in the full season. He only had nine, ten games. And then he was the starter, and it wasn't until week six or seven in that second year that he had a full sixteen game, full sixteen games under his belt. So right away, like that was my point, like that I was arguing with a lot of people. I'm like, unlike these other rookie quarterbacks, he's not had a full season under center 
in the NFL until halfway through that second year. And it took him to learn some things and, of course, get the weapons that helped. Because truthfully be told, Cole Beasley getting signed as well as John Brown helped him with that intermediate passing game. Because granted, there were times where, yeah, Josh Allen was still taking the shots downfield and he'd either hit or miss. But John Brown and Cole Beasley, along with Dawson Knox and the other players on that team with the tight ends were helping that that short to eat immediate passing game of his, which helped him improve. Now, Stephanie is a proponent of Josh Allen uh, smack talk on Twitter. She does not allow it and everything. So what what is your point with Josh Allen and everything? Because I know we talked about it last show and you not wanting to allow the Josh Allen negativity. Now hearing Matt's point of views and everything, what's your take with Josh Allen and being the key to this team? Yeah, I have to agree. He has a lot of raw talent and he has certainly a rocket arm and he's very exciting to watch very dynamic um but i think we all need to give him a chance um he hasn't he's he's dealt with his injuries and um yeah understanding that you know he he does some risky business now and then but I'm really interested in seeing how he's going to connect with Stefan Diggs. I thought I saw a report saying that he's flying out to Florida and meeting up with John Brown and Stefan Diggs um, in the off season. Um, so I'm really interested in his connection with uh, Diggs and ke- overall chemistry. Now, going back to the schedule at hand and of the upcoming season, and we're not sure if this got, if the NFL is going to be going on on time and everything. Looking at the just the first four games, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Rams, and the Raiders. Now, you got two home games, two away games, and everything. Now, last week on the show, we talked about how the Jets and Dolphins have obviously both made improvements and everything, and maybe the the question of the the AFC East being a lock for the Bills may have may comes into question and everything. The Bills open up the season with the Jets and the Dolphins right back to back. Now, what happens if the Bills somehow lose both of those games? What do you think would the feel feel would be if the Bills lose both of those games? 0-2 in the division, the division opponents. What do you think the feel would be for the season? That would be, uh, that'd be rough. I mean, yeah. honestly, with the way with the way the schedule is is made, they really need to well, start strong. I mean, they probably need to win six or seven of their first eight. And I'd say that because the second half of the season just comes with so many wild card, really tough games. And, you know, you're going on the road against San Francisco. You're going on the road against the Patriots. Home against the Seahawks. Home against the Chargers. Those are all tough, tough games. And, you know, if you – listen, as good as the Jets – as good as the moves that the Jets and the Dolphins have made, they shouldn't be ready to compete out of the jump because that offensive line for the Jets is going to be completely new. And the Miami Dolphins are going to have a, like a youth movement on their team. They have so many draft picks they're going to try to get into play. You know, obviously Ryan Fitzpatrick's still, uh, still balling down there. But um, I, I just think, yeah, you're right. Like, that's an interesting setup. I don't, I don't really know. I think, I think there would be some, uh, you know, some Bill's Twitter would be a mess. Let's just say that. No, trust me, because like when I when I looked at the schedule and I was like, okay, cool, the Jets, Dolphins. I was like, back to back AFC East opponents. I was like. And I was like, all right, that should be easy because like you said, the Jets offensive line's new. Adam Gase is Adam Gase. The Dolphins with the youth movement and everything. I was like, that should be an easy 2-0 start. But what happens if they start 0-2? Where are they at then? And then, like you said, that back half of the schedule is rough. After their bye week, it's you play outside of the chart outside of the dolphins you're playing five potential you're playing five potential playoff teams because of the char- the chargers niners steelers broncos and patriots and it's just it's it's rough so with you saying that 
like best of case scenario winning six of the first eight or so it's it's not anything that can't be done but it's gonna be it's gonna be rough it's gonna be rough if they if they start if they start slow because last year obviously obviously the bills didn't start slow they started three and0 had the, had the tight had the tight game tight game against the Patriots and everything it's just one things of looking at the overall season it's gonna be rougher how do you feel Brandon mean and McDermott have put together this team to succeed this, this upcoming season? You have to hit me with that question again. Okay. <laughs> oh, what's your <laughs> what's your feeling with how Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have put the team together to succeed this upcoming season and build on the successes uh, of last year? Yeah, I think that they're um, they're better. They're better everywhere you look. I mean, if you look at what they've lost, like the most significant loss to me is Lorenzo because of his experience his veteran leadership and his his utility like mentality like he does so many things like we were talking to him last night on the podcast and he's like the thing they're not going to be able to do is find somebody that did everything that i did like slide into three tech play a little at rush off the edge play uh you know that third linebacker spot on the strong side drop into coverage like he does so many things so they sign aj klein and you think okay i hope that he can, he can replicate some of the things that, that Lorenzo did. And they'll probably figure out a way to do it as a, as a group. Like Mario Addison, people aren't talking a lot about this, but he can kind of be the, you know, uh, I think the standing uh, pass rusher that, that Lorenzo was a lot of the times. They have so much depth on that defensive line. They can kind of rotate guys around and do different things with people. Um, but I just think that you're going to miss his leadership. But from a – Somebody will step up. Somebody always steps up. I mean, Kyle Williams left, and you know everybody was worried about what what kind of hole that was going to leave. But you know, guys step up, and they've been all I've been hearing about for the last year is Tremaine Edmonds and the the unbelievable maturity that he has at 22 years old, and he's been you know joined at the hip with Lorenzo for the last two years. So he's going to take what he learned from him and move it on into this season. And and they're ready. Like you know, this defense has been slowly being been built over the last three years they're stacked at every position i mean josh norman even returns to an average nfl starter level i think that you have the best secondary in the nfl and then i think that you know tremaine edmonds and matt milano if they could stay healthy that's quite a one-two punch and i think the options sean mcdermott has with this defensive line to be able to rush with so many different kind of um four-man fronts and and different types of stunts that they can run. It's really, I mean, from a football X's and O's type of standpoint, you've got to be, like, just licking your chops watching this defense work this year because it's going to be fun. I mean, uh, on the offensive side, Stefan Diggs, I'm very interested to see how he's integrated in the offense and what it does for John Brown and Cole Beasley, who, you know, I still think for the majority of last season got the bulk of the targets – uh, you saw in the playoff game, Duke Williams was inserted, and he got 10 targets, which I still think that's a bit of a head-scratcher. But, um, you know, Zach Moss is an upgrade on Frank Gore on the field. Of course, he loses the leadership. But, like I said, man, it comes down to Josh Allen. And, you know, how, what kind of step can he take this year? Because the step is still required. But I still think you want higher level of play than you got last year. But I think that that's possible based on what we saw improvement wise from year one to year two now with josh allen wanting you wanting josh allen to take that step and everything what i've heard from a lot of people here in buffalo they they've compared josh allen to mitchell trubisky from the chicago bears and that's the worst comparison oh my god mitchell trubisky has none of the character traits that josh allen has like just the way they approach the game is complete their personalities are completely different like i don't think i've ever seen mitchell trubisky celebrate a play ever josh allen like when he got that first down like look at that look at that play after like his reaction like they're different people so i get it like there's some similarities with the way they play the game but Mitchell Trubisky doesn't run the ball like Josh Allen. Like it's it's just it's just poor. He doesn't have the arm that Josh Allen has. Like they're completely different players. I understand the concern 
that you could see a, a decline in production. But honestly, with the, what they've done offensively and the continuity built, and that's another thing. I'm pretty sure Mitchell Trubisky has had two different offensive coordinators in his time there. Yeah, I'm so, very certain he has. Well, the the comparison's not really more along the lines of like their attributes or intangibles. It's more along the lines of like the stats that they put up. And like you brought up earlier, Josh Allen threw 29 touchdowns last year. It, imagine if Josh Allen throw a where some of them throws that he missed, some of them deep passes that he missed that would have been touchdowns. Imagine if he hits them. So you're looking at if he hits them this year, them deep passes, especially if it's to John Brown or Diggs or some other one of the two of the receivers they drafted. They drafted. You're potentially looking at Josh Allen having 35 close to 40 touchdowns in in the season. If he puts up 35 touchdowns passing and rushes for, like, in the range of 8 to 10, I mean, we're talking about Cam Newton MVP 2015 Super Bowl year numbers. And that's been the comp, right, since he came out of school. Like, his ceiling was like Cam Newton, and he plays the game like that. And you can't convince me any other way. Like, that's the reason that this regime was gravitated towards Josh Allen. I mean, you see the way that he plays the game, and you can say what you want about now, you want to talk about a diva, like, I was down in Carolina for the joint practices. Cam Newton is, is a hell of a diva, dude. Like, he... Oh, trust me, I know. That uh, his fashion is... His fashion is, is something interesting. I, I don't know. I'm not a fashionista. But, fashion uh, police. Well, yes. I will say um, this. For one, I'm jealous because, to be honest, I've also, I've also been a Panthers fan since, like, their inception. I just like the look, the logo, the colors, I and yeah. some of the players they had when they that initial team. I just kind of fell in love with, and then Steve Smith and and whatnot. So I'm kind of jealous that you were there for the joint practice because I would have loved that. <laughs> it was a cool environment. It was a cool environment. You got to see kind of like a little bit up close, and you know what do we got? Five new Bills that were on this this Panthers team last year. So um, no, I think. Um, uh, it's tough. Like trying to project what a player is going to be is so difficult, and we're so wrong so often. Yet we continue to do it so vehemently, and and that's what I said. Like going into the draft, I was like, I, I think I shared uh, a tweet. Somebody had, I think it was Bill Polian's, like absolute, like just over the top prediction for a, for a draft pick, and I was like. Guys, let's dial this back a little bit. Like, you don't know. We don't know. You tell me all the statistics that you want. But guess what? Until they go out there and play the games, like, I love this section of, of, of sports media or sports, you know, social media that, that comes at this thing. Like, a guy is a guy that comes in the league, and they're going to be that guy until they, they leave the league. No. Okay? We, we get better at things every day. I mean, uh, we all joke about Sean McDermott's uh, catchphrases, and we have a joke or two about them in the press room. Like, you know, when you listen to cliche after cliche, like do your 111th and growth mindset, you know, you, you kind of get a laugh out about it after a while. But he's right. There is such thing as a growth mindset. I mean, I approach my life like that as a dad, as a writer, as a, a, a journalist. If you don't approach your life, like wanting to get better at something. And you don't think Josh Allen wants to get better at playing quarterback? Get out of here. Like, I just, I, I can't, I can't, like, sometimes conceptualize the way that people approach, like, their their thought process on this stuff. Like, it, it, it's sports. People have gotten better from the beginning of time by practicing, and that's why they practice. So, I don't know. Just in my little soapbox moment for you guys. No, not at all. I did. Honestly, on a sidebar, because I'm going to Full Sail University for the sports broadcasting program, the Dan Patrick School, and I'm doing that. And the last two days, they've done um, had Q&As with Michael Wilbon and Mike Valenti from Detroit. And I've I've attended both of them. And what you just said there just reminded me of what Mike Valenti was saying last night about how the sports media, especially with radio and journalists, no. Like they're all about like stats and and everything and not honesty and what you said about like growth movement and everything. I'm go- I'm looking at this. I'm like, you know what? 
at least Josh Allen isn't turning out like some of these quarterbacks that come out of that come out of college and burning out because you've seen some of these co- college quarterbacks come out and they're high high top talent first round picks and they end up as being lifelong backups and everything. Uh, AJ McCarron being one of them. Like McCarron came, McCarron. I remember when McCarron was drafted, he was like, they're like, he's one of the top QB. He's going to succeed. And McCarron's been a lifetime backup and then eventually just retired, essentially. And even you look at some, you look back in years past with other quarterbacks that have come out. Like, yeah, Cam Newton right now is a free agent and can end up somewhere, but. For all for all intents and purposes, the guy's had a self career. So if the model of Josh Allen is modeling him towards her Cam Newton, and Josh Allen can put up Cam Newton like numbers and have a Cam Newton like career, I'd be perfectly fine with it. Because Newton in Carolina has been has been solid for the last eight eight nine ten years since they drafted him. So it, it's one of the things of seeing the growth in Allen and also. On Twitter, before we uh, did the show, I saw something of the thing of if Tremaine Edmonds has the same growth in his third year as Tredavious White, you're not looking at a all-star potential defense. You're looking at a Super Bowl potential defense. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, he's a big, big piece of this thing, man. Like, he's there's so much responsibility and. I, I tell the story all the time. I, I'm trying not to tell it as much lately just because I feel like I was on a, you know, every week I was talking about this, but I was so impressive. Like when I was watching him in training camp and early on in practice, the time spent on the mental reps really stood out to me. And what they do is they set up like four um, garbage cans and he literally stands behind the garbage cans with the linebackers coach, Bob Babbage, and they literally run through their entire playbook. And he literally is just going through play after play and what's his read supposed to be? What's his movement supposed to be? And, like, you don't think about that, like, at, on the surface, but this is a kid that came in at 20 years old, played outside linebacker in college, and now he's playing middle linebacker in the NFL and asked to call all the plays as the quarterback of the defense. Like, what they put on his plate as a rookie is insane. And so just the, the knowledge that he's gained in these two years and the after athletic freak that he is like who knows like we, we could be talking about uh the evolution of his game where they start to like use him as a pass rusher on certain sets too like he there's so much potential with Tremaine Edmonds he's you you realize now two years later why they were so willing to jump back up to get him at 16 they they, they kind of saw what the future could be a little bit and I think at the time people thought yeah this guy has all the athletic tools but there's questions about him being able to play middle linebacker. I think all those questions are gone. Now, speaking of Tremaine Edmonds, do you see what they've done with Tremaine Edmonds over the last th- over the last two years? Similar and him becoming part what Keekley was for Bean in Carolina when Bean was the defensive coordinator there. Um, yeah, like, I, I think that that's the idea is to find that kind of talent, but I just think that it'll be different. Like they have different personalities. They have different ways that they lead. Um, they even have different like size of measurements and how fast they are and quick they are. So the way that Luke Keekley wins won't necessarily be the way that Tremaine Edmonds wins. So yeah, I think that they value the position, but I don't think it's going to be something where, you know, they're asking him to just watch all of Luke Keekley's tape and be Luke Keekley. Like, oh, yeah, no. There's, yeah. There's potential for him to be, you know, different different things in this defense. And not to mention, like, this doesn't get talked about a lot either. Sean McDermott has evolved and matured as a, as a coach since he was in, in Carolina. So there's things that he's learned. He's been here with Leslie Frazier, who's been a head coach in this league and a defensive coordinator. So who knows what he's added to um, Sean McDermott's repertoire as a coach and as a play caller and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I I, I agree. Like that, I think that they wanted to replicate what they did with Luke Keekley out there. But I think Tremaine Edmonds, uh, I think he could be better. Absolutely. Now you speak on the growth that 
Sean McDermott has had for, uh, as a head coach and everything. Do you feel like Brandon Bean has gr- grown as a general manager as well over the last three three years? Yeah, he said it himself. He said uh, some of the best trades that you make are the ones that you don't make. And he almost made a, almost made a pretty big, uh, in his own estimation, mistake by going out and trading for Antonio Brown. Obviously, oh that God. didn't happen. Um, and who knows? Like maybe you get Antonio Brown in here, and, and the and the magic culture, the magic process fixes all of his problems. No, I don't know. I don't know. But like, I just think that like the things that he's learned over the course of his time here, you know, um, and how he's improved. You know, I think he came really is a really good evaluator and a really good like um, when it comes to like creating organizational synergy that was his strong suit and they needed that i mean after the blunders of doug whaley uh, and, and those that came before him i think that they needed somebody to come in here and and tear it all down and build it back up again and that's what they've done and so yeah i think that oh man they got really lucky in brandon b i'm a, I'm a listen I'm, i grew up a bills fan i tell people all this all the time like when you cover the team like on the beat it changes your relationship a little bit and I, I think fans sometimes don't understand what I mean when I say that but it's like you lose the like I'm never in the press box watching a Bills game and do I ever have an inclination to cheer or do I ever have a feeling of like where I'm emotionally invested in what's happening for the community that I grew up in and the, the fact that I'm a part of the Buffalo community I always want the Bills to do well but it just when you become a beat writer you don't you can't be a fan anymore. It's just the relationship doesn't work that way. And so, but I will say this, I really respect Brandon and I really think that he was an absolute home run hire and he's done an amazing job. I, I just think to do what he's done in Buffalo after so many years of just absolute ineptitude, it should, it should be applauded. And, and he's getting high marks around the league for sure. Absolutely. Now, with the upcoming season, if the season goes off without a hitch and regardless of the current pandemic situation and everything, what would your prediction be for the Bills final record? Oh, you're killing me. You didn't read my story on Monday at newupstate at Syracuse.com? We'll be sure to stare at I actually, 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 I saw it. I haven't saved. I haven't gotten to it, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask him because I, because it'll give him, it'll give him a chance to plug his own stuff. I love it. Uh, No, I have him going 11 and five. Uh, Ryan has him going 12 and four. I think that that would be, if they go 12 and four, I'll tell you right now, they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender because this schedule is really tough and I'm picking 11 wins. And I'm that's more on the optimistic side. I think that 10 is probably a more um, reasonable prediction. But I like the matchups. I like where they play certain teams. Like I like that Seattle's home. I like that Kansas City's at home on a short week. It makes, it makes Kansas City have to travel to Buffalo on a short week. You're getting them in a good spot, I think. Um, I just like how this schedule's made up. There's no two weeks in a row West Coast trips. Um, even if there would have been, I know that uh, it was reported that Sean McDermott didn't request back-to-back weeks, and that's because I don't think that he would have taken advantage of staying out West. I think he would have brought them all back from Buffalo anyway, because he's so much a creature of habit. He likes being back at the facility, running through the practice week, and so forth, so on and so forth. So, I'm going to say 11-5. and five. I think that they lose Unfortunately, on Monday Night Football for Bills fans, I know that everybody has them really excited about going out to San Francisco and playing that game. I think they lose that game. Uh, And a couple other uh, that I sprinkled in, you can check that out in the article. But uh, I think that, listen, I think that they're going to win the AFC East. And I I don't think the Patriots are going to be very good this year. I think they're going to be a 500 team. I still think Bill Belichick, you know, you got to pencil them in for eight wins. But I just don't see the offensive production necessary with the difficulty schedule that they have. Um, and not to mention that defense, for as good as it was last year, and it was really good, they couldn't stop Tennessee. And yeah, I think the, I think the uh, blueprint might be out, and they lost Kyle Van Noy, they lost Jamie Collins, and I just think it's too soon to expect the Jets or the Dolphins to really compete, unless Sam Darnold 
takes the step that everybody thinks that he's eventually going to take, then that the conversation changes as well. I don't anticipate that, but I also don't rule it out. Absolutely. I completely agree with you on the Sam Darnold point. Now, as we finish up here for thank you for joining us. Truly appreciated. Um, where can everybody find out where you're at? Cause I know you have like nine different avenues that you're a part of. So for everybody that's listening, if you're a fan of the bills and want to follow Matt Perino on Twitter, of course you can find them on Twitter. Where else can they find you? Yeah. So, um, one of our biggest initiatives, we weren't actually going to roll out the new podcasts until, uh, right before training camp because the whole idea was to do this live Wednesday night um, format where we were actually going to have like a built studio and um, that's still the plan but because of the pandemic we thought you know Bill's fans are starving for content why don't we roll this out now and we've obviously come up with some technological uh, ways to do that um, but I think that, you know, right now, if you want to ask me what I'm spending the most time on, it's the podcast. We're coming out with two or three at a time. Uh, I'll give you uh, or a, a week. Um, I'll give you a little exclusive. I sat down with um, virtually, of course, with uh, Marcel Lujac from ESPN. And we had um, an hour conversation, not on the bills, on our careers and how we got to where we are today. And I get asked so much from fans and aspiring journalists like, how did you get this job? Like, or people find out I worked at the UFC, like what, how did you get that job? So instead of me having to continue to say the same things over and over again, and we literally riffed for an hour talk, telling our story and talking about all these different questions that we get. So we could point people to it. Cause I think it'd be helpful because it would be something that I would have wanted eight, nine, 10 years ago when I was getting into the business to kind of figure out, okay, how do I like, map this out to try to get to where I want to be. And so like little things like that, I think you'll get with the podcast that, you know, probably aren't, aren't going to get anywhere else. Um, you know, we got, we got a bunch of fun ideas. There's also, I just did one too. If you follow it, it's Bill's talk with Matt Perino. I'm going to do a monthly episode where my uncle Tony, who is a huge diehard Bill's fan for like 60 years. And every time I see him at family parties, he always like helps me with Bill's questions, like, what the hell are they doing? Or this, that, this, that. So now I've turned that into a podcast format. And so now he's going to bring 10 questions to me once a month. And that's going to be a podcast. It's really, we did one already. Check it out. It's really fun. Um, but yeah, YouTube, if you want to watch the live show, it's Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Search NY Up on YouTube. Eventually that'll be rebranded. But right now that's, that's what it is. And uh, yeah, all my stuff you can usually get figured out through uh, my Twitter account. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Truly thank appreciated. Uh, thank you for having me, man. It was fun. Definitely. We're we're gonna take <laughs> a we're gonna take a small break. We're gonna come back. Me and Stephanie are gonna finish up. We're gonna let Matt go because he's got plenty of stuff going on, as you heard. But keep it locked. We'll be back on Across the Bills. Across the Board Sports is brought to you by Thrive Fantasy. Daily prop bets for all kinds of sports where thousands of dollars are up for grabs every single day. Want free money? Use the code ATB at sign up for a free $10. Download the free app in the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. And don't forget, use the code ATB at sign up for a free $10. Across the board sports, unique sports coverage. We're back here. We're back here on Across the Bills. Padgy, of course, with Steffi. Like to thank Matt Perino for joining us, uh, him giving us an hour of his time talking about all things Buffalo Bills from Sammy Watkins to the schedule to Josh Allen to multiple things. Uh, we kind of had a long conversation with him and it was great because now we see the aspect of someone that actually covers the Bills on like a everyday type deal and the biggest thing that takeaway that I took from him is just the quote unquote fact that now it's going to be no more noticeable, like seeing how he approaches things opposed to everyone else and seeing what he talks about. Like he focuses on like the Josh Allen throwing 29 touchdowns thing versus the less than 60% completion percentage. I was kind of like, well, that's an interesting fact. What did you take away from that? Um, so I actually 
noticed that um, he had predicted the Bills going, I think, 11 and 5. At the most. Oh, 11 and 5. Yeah. Well, I had it more so 12 and 4. Um, so, I don't know. I am very much looking forward to this season. Um, I'm pushing 30 years old, and I'm ready to uh, see a good team in my lifetime um, because I haven't had that luxury. Um, the last time the Bills were really good, you you were a toddler. You were you were you you were you were a toddler. Not that I was much. Not that I was much older, but I at least remember it. <laughs> yeah. So the, the the fact of the matter is that he had pointed out. You know, we had gone through so many years of ineptitude, and finally we have Dean, we have McDermott. Things are starting to click. Uh, you know, our defense is solid. Our offense is on ascending on the rise and I'm just really looking forward to this slate of games. Yeah, absolutely. So, but that's going to do it for us here across the bills for Steffi and Pat G check out, of course, across the bills on anchor Spotify, everywhere you can get your podcast as well as across the board sports, but we'll catch you guys all next week. Hopefully we'll, we might have another guest. It depends on what social media clout we have. Uh, because so far my social media clout's actually working for a for a change because we've had two amazing guests so far. We'll see how much more clout might it actually works. But thank you for listening. As always, keep it locked and we'll see you on the flip side.